0: Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, church family. Good morning. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. My name is Rick Thompson. Um, Mary was having a tough day. And she'd stress herself out on the couch to do a bit of what she thought to be well-deserved, complaining and self-pitying. She moaned to her mom and her brother, nobody loves me, the whole world hates me. Her brother, busily occupied, playing a game, hardly looked up at her and passed on these encouraging words. That's not true, Mary. Some people don't even know you. Can you say not helpful? <laughs> Just like brothers, right? Aren't you glad that even if nobody, know, nobody knows you, God does? And not only does he know you, he loves you. He cares for you. He, he's willing to, to do whatever it takes to bring us into relationship with him. We've been in a series that we've entitled Home Records. Someone say Home Records. Home records. Where we've been identifying the multiple threats facing our families today that have the ability, that left unchecked, will slam into the very foundations of our lives if we don't identify them and do something about them. So far, we've talked about one of the home records are the fact that there's a, a serious lack of knowledge out there. Uh, the Bible clearly states that my people perish, they die for lack of knowledge. And there's a lot of people that are rejecting the Word of God and in exchange they've come up with their own nonsense and it's killing them. It's doing damage to their families. There's also a, a, a lack of commitment. A lot of times we we were, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that is of the devil. The problem is we have a lot of yes-nos in our community and our commitment is our commitment of Convenience, I am in this as long as it doesn't cause me too much problems and it doesn't, you know, you know, the, you know and the moment it starts causing me issues, I'm no longer committed. That's a batting ramp, <clears throat> a wrecking ball that slams into our our families. There's a lack of communication that takes place as well. It's usually among the top uh, 10 lists as to why families fall apart. They're, they're just not clicking In the area of communication, the the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? And even if there's disagreement, you need to agree to disagree. But at some point, we need to get on the same page as to our communication with each other. And if you missed last week, we gave you some techniques as to how to improve our communications with one another. And of course, our communication with God. Today's Wrecking Ball and it probably could have been even higher on the list of, of what we are tackling because it's huge, is that we're going to be talking about is the lack of love, the lack of love. And because the, the world defines love in one way, and how many you know that the word defines it in a totally different way? The, word, the world gives you this Hollywood version of what love is, and if you look at the average Hollywood relationship, it, it lasts for about six minutes, and then they're on to the next. But that's what's being put out there as what love is. And the Word of God gives a totally different definition of what love should be. Now, we know that love is a word and a concept that's often used, but it's misconstrued, misapplied, and misunderstood, especially in our culture. It's like the lady I heard on the radio a few years ago, that it's, it's, the, the host asked, if you can change anything in America, what would it be? And she said, well, I'd make a law that, well, everyone gets paid the same. And so the host responded, man, that model's been tried before under communism and socialism. It sounds great until you factor in human nature. He said, imagine what it feels like to go to work every day, bust your hump working, and, and the guy next to you is doing little to nothing. And at the end of the week, you get the same as he or she. That system doesn't improve productivity or creativity. It brings it to a screeching halt. Because if we're all getting paid the same, why should I work any harder than the next guy? It sounds good, but uh, when it's tried, it ends in a disastrous outcome. Now, I feel like the subject today kind of broadly falls or fails in the same way along the same cultural lines. It sounds great until you factor in the human nature and our ability to apply and misapply the word or the concept of love at will. Because the truth is, love means different things to different people. We've talked about this before. In one breath, we say we love our dog or our cat, but we also love our cause. We say we love... In the next breath, we love our wives and our husbands and our children. And in the next breath, we say we love chocolate or peanut butter. And we use the exact same word for all of those. In some circles, sexual intimacy is referred to as, quote, unquote, making love. And with the same word, we say we love God or someone would say God Loves us. And so we have these many variances of the word, and it's no wonder that things get misconstrued and misapplied. But it's too important a subject for us to just leave out there for people to define themselves. Because when it's not properly applied, it's what the devil uses to kind of slam against the very foundations of our families and to cause it to crumble from within, especially when the so-called love you, you know, the love that you're feeling is a worldly love, and oftentimes that word is conditional. Again, I love you until I don't anymore. So where we use one word to describe the word love, if you look in the Greek or the Hebrew, there's several different words. There's four different words that describe love. They have eros, philea, uh, and, and, and a couple more, Stor, storge and agape. Let's take the first one. Eros Eros means uh, mostly a sexual or passionate type of love. That's where we get the word erotic, erotic. Philia Fil- means affectionate in regards to friendship, usually between equals. In the same text, f- philos denotes a general type of love used for love between family, between friends, and the desire or enjoyment of an activity. Those are the things I love to do. But that's where the ancient word Philadelphia comes from. A uh, fellow by the name of you means, uh, the second named the city for the love of his brother who would be his successor, Attalus II, around 159 to 138 BC, whose loyalty earned him the nickname Philadelphos, literally meaning one who loves his brother. And so Philadelphia is, is called the city of brotherly love. I don't know if you knew that. And then another word is storge, which means the natural affection, like that felt between a parent and their child. And of course, the fourth one is agape, which means the fatherly love of God for humans, as well as humans' reciprocal love for God. And in the scripture, the transcendent agape love is the highest form of love, whether the The love given is returned or not. The person continues to love even without self-benefit. So agape is selfless, self-sacrificing love. It's also used in ancient texts to denote feelings for one's children and feelings for a spouse. It's the love that the Apostle Paul was talking about when he, when, he, when he instructed the husbands. He says, I want you husbands love or husbands agape your wives. And then he didn't leave it for our own imaginations. He said, I want you to love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He didn't use those other words. He used the word agape. So you wouldn't use the word agape to describe the love of ice cream or cookies unless you have an eating disorder. (laughs) Now, I said all that to say this. Agape love is the love we're describing and it's ascribing to emulate. We see it all throughout the scriptures. We see it in John 3, 16. For God so loved agape the world that he gave his one and only son. It's used in 1 Corinthians 13, where we consider the the love chapter, and we're going to focus on that one this morning, but notwithstanding the other types of love, this is the one that God wants us to practice with each other, and of course, to teach to one another. Agape. Someone say agape. Agape. We see it used in the text that Paul gave to Titus when he's giving instructions to the to the church mothers of the church. This is what he said. In the same way, teach older women to be holy in their behavior, not speaking against others or enslaved to to too much wine, but teaching what is good. Then they can, then the older women can teach the young women to love their husbands and to love agape, their children. And so even the older women in the church have a responsibility before God. And that responsibility is not to, you know, the parties and the too much wine. The Bible says your, part, your, your responsibility as a mentor, as, a, as an older person to a younger person, to do what? To teach them to love. Teach them to love their husbands and teach them to properly love their wives. Paul went on to, to give instructions in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, to every single one of us. He said, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Verse 14, I want you to read verse 14 aloud with me. One, two, three, go. Above all, clothe yourselves with with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Paul says, above everything else, this is what I want you to do. He's speaking uh, not just on his own unction. He's speaking by the unction of the Holy Spirit. Above all else, I want you to clothe yourself with love. Which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And then he said, Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And so, as we look at the book of Titus, it instructs the older women, teach a biblical love to the younger women, not a worldly love. And the Apostle Paul goes on to tell the Coloss- to the Colossian church that we are responsible to do something. He says, I want you to clothe yourselves with love. That is to say, love is a decision, not a fairy tale feeling of love, with the, which makes us kind of the center of our own happily ever after selfish story. Rather than an unconditional agape love that says I'm in it for the long haulers, as an example of Christ who came in love, not to be served, the Bible says, but to serve and to give his life as a sacrifice or a ransom for many. And so using the model we see in 1 Corinthians 13, again, and I oftentimes when I do weddings, I will point this out. Listen to me, that there is a worldly definition of love that lasts for, for about as long as the person feels like it because it's all about me and mine and getting my needs met. And the moment I feel like my needs aren't being met, I'm out of this, even though I stand before God and these witnesses and make a vow. And so he says, I want you to love, not just the way the world loves, I want you to love the way the Word of God teaches and what God says love looks like. Two important a word or a concept to leave undefined, and so he defines it for us. When you get a chance, look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. But in this text, he tells us what love is and what it isn't, what we are supposed to clothe ourselves with, and what we are supposed to to remove from our clothing. Just the same way we, we, uh, we go into a, a store on a, a Saturday or during the week, and we say, You know what? I, I, I see this nice uh, outfit, this nice blouse, these nice shoes I want to wear. I want to clothe myself in these things. The, the Bible says that it is your responsibility and my responsibility to clothe ourselves with something. And that something, he says, is a biblical definition of what love is. And then he tells you what love is. I want you to write this down. He says, Love is patient. Love is patient. Now, some translations use the word long-suffering, long-suffering. The idea being that there will be times in our lives when God calls us to be patient and long-suffering in a relationship and through the ups and the downs of our lives. Oh, that almost sounds like the vows we took for those of us who... Gotten married for better or for worse, for richer for poor, in sickness and in health, till so death do us part. Now I know this isn't popular to say, but but an agape love is patient and it suffers long, and that's what God God calls us to do with each other. And how often do we hear ourselves saying to our spouses or our children, "Listen, I am running out of patience with you," and even if we don't say it. Honestly, we feel it from time to time. And my question to you this morning is, is that even possible? What's what's possible? Is it possible to run out of patience? Where does patience come from? Well, we know that it's a fruit of the Spirit and a byproduct of the presence of God in our lives. Anybody have the Holy Spirit in their lives? Come on, somebody. Well, if you love Jesus and have accepted him, the Holy Spirit is in you. Come on. And as the Spirit being in you, there's an endless resource and an unstoppable flow of patience and the ability to be patient with the people around you right there in you. Now, the truth of the matter is there are times when we, we choose not to be patient or practice patience or long-suffering in our responses and I'm telling you that in those moments that we're probably not being very loving as well. Now, people, they say, uh, Pastor Rick, I'm told that we shouldn't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience because God's going to put you in a situation where you're going to have to be patient. And I say to you, absolutely, you do want to pray for patience. Why? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's literally the first one describing true what true biblical love looks like. The people around you and the people around me, they need me to be patient. Come on, somebody. Amen. They need me not to be so reactive when things happen that I'm going to start popping off because this is this is going on over here or this is happening over here and now they catch me at a bad moment. I, I pray for patience all the time because it's the fruit of the spirit and it's a reflection of God's love toward the people around me especially to those in my family love is patience clothe yourself with it not only is it patient the bible says love is kind kind now are we kind to our family are we kind to our spouses or better yet would they say that we're consistently kind to them or do we pick and choose based on our moods for the day whether we'll act kindly or not? Because the synonym of kindness is mild or gentle as opposed to harsh. The Bible says that a fruit of the Spirit is kindness, and, the, and, and God wants us to clothe ourselves with kindness. It says love does not envy. Write that down. Some translate this is, is that it, to say that, that love is not jealous. And when we think of jealous, you think of relationships going awry when a person when 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 a person uh, has another person unlocked due to some indiscretion or, or or just their own insecurities, and now they're kind of requiring a minute by minute check-in, and, and, and they feel the need to go through phone logs and emails, or or else someone's going to lose their mind, all in the name of love. But I promise you the word envy means more than just that type of jealousy. To be envious means wanting to have somebody else's success, their good fortune or qualities or possessions. It it means you're jealous of what other people have that you don't. I believe the word that Genesis uses is the word covetousness. And in order to stop being jealous of people or things we need, uh, the things we need to be delivered from, we need to be delivered from the land of Ur. Someone say "Ur." Ur. Better, smarter, richer, prettier, nicer. That person is prettier than me, or that person has a better job than me. They drive a nicer car than I do. And as long as I continue to live in the land of Ur, I, I cannot and I will not become a loving person because we're constantly comparing our situation with the people around us, and it makes us envious. And the Bible says the, that, that love is not envious, is not jealous. And genuine love will, will stop comparing what the other person has compared to what you have so that you can stop, stop feeling the way you feel. But the other side of that coin is the next one. It says, love does not brag and it is not arrogant. It does not brag and it is not arrogant. So rather than being jealous of what they have, the other side of that coin is you are now boastful and arrogant about what you have. If envy is on one side of the town, uh, bragging and arrogance is the other side of the town. It's no longer about you know, them being brighter or smarter or prettier. It's about you being brighter or smarter or prettier than the next guy. And you walk around with your nose so high in the air up in the uh, like, like, like you're on a high horse that you're in danger of passing out due to the altitude sickness. <laughs> or in this case, attitude sickness. Be careful. Be careful of that spirit that says, I'm better than the person next to me. I'm so good that I cannot associate with them. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Do you know why? Why? Because he hung out with sinners. And he said to them, it's not those who are well who need a physician, it's those who are sick. And he did not consider it a slight on his own reputation to be seen with the people whom the religious people of the, of the day thought wasn't the people you should be hanging out with. Folks, God loves people. Amen? And the scripture tells us that love does not brag and it is not arrogant. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with each other. Don't try to act important, but enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Number five, love is not rude, it says. It never ceases to amaze me how Couples sometimes take moments in front of other people to draw attention to the spouse's perceived shortcomings. And I'm not talking about private conversations about what's going on within a relationship. That's normal. I'm talking about purposely and publicly putting the person you're supposed to love on blast. And pointing out their shortcomings. And then they act shocked or worse, they act like they don't care at all when the spouse, whom they claim to love, gets upset about it. Or, Pastor Rick, I'm just being honest. No, according to the Bible, you're just being rude. And I might add, unloving. The Bible says to clothe ourselves with love, and it says that love doesn't insist on its own way. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, in a loving relationship, it's not about my way or your way or you or me. In a loving relationship, it's about we. And by we, I mean you, me, and Jesus. Because the scripture says a three chord strand is not easily broken. Who's that third sc- strand? Someone say Jesus. It's about walking together in mutual submission to each other and to Jesus, and to Christ, because he's our North Star, if you will, the standard bearer that we both agree to follow. and he's never going to lead you down a path of selfishness. Philippians 2:3 says when you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide, instead be humble and give more honor to others than to yourself. True love does not insist on its own way. It's my way or the highway. And then number seven says love is not irritable. It's not irritable or easily angered. How often do we make excuses for this one in our lives? I'm just having a bad day, bad week, bad month. I can't help it, so just stay out of my way. And I always challenge that. What do you mean you can't help it? God says he's giving you a spirit, and then he defines what that spirit does. It's a spirit of self-control. I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control, a sound mind. And the truth of the matter is there are times, not that we can't control it. We choose not to control it. It's getting quiet in here. You need to ask yourself: Am I going to react in love, or I'm going to respond, ang- or am I going to respond angrily and irritably in this situation? And in that moment, don't get it twisted, because it's not both; it's either or. And when you're walking around raging at the world, understand this: in that moment, you're not being very loving whatever excuse you come up with. Because love, the Bible says, is not irritable. It's not to say that there's not a righteous anger out there for wanting to see what God wants. But I'm talking about this is all about you and your feelings and your desires, and you're just going to give people a piece of your mind. You heard what I said last week. Be careful. You might need that peace one day. And isn't that what Paul told the older women? He said to teach the younger women to be self-controlled and to love their husbands and to love their children. God says it's our responsibility to learn to love. And this next one always gets me because it's, It's the one that I always feel I see people ignore, and they ignore it to their own detriment. It says, love keeps no records of wrongs. I was praying for a couple one day, they came in for counseling, and married for 20 years, and Clearly, things weren't going well for them. And as I counseled, I started to pray. And and I looked at the the wife, and I just felt in my spirit I said, Ma'am, I don't know all of your situation, but I do feel like you're holding some things against your husband. She just started to laugh. I said, What's funny? She says, "I'm holding 20 years of things against my husband." And I said, "Well, you're either going to start letting go of those things, or those things are going to continue to be a brick that the enemy uses to build." Before you don't have to be a prophet or the son of a prophet to see where it's going to happen. What's going to happen if you choose to continue to hold records of wrongs? Simply put, love forgives. doesn't mean that it tolerates wrong. It, mean, it means that I choose not to keep holding on to it. But by all means, the Bible does, doesn't suggest you become a doormat, put up healthy boundaries. But if every argument turns into a what, what was done five years ago or ten years ago or 15 years ago or a year ago, that relationship is in serious trouble. How many know we all need God's grace? We, we walk by grace. We, we got saved by grace. We walk by grace. And when we stand before the Father, it's only going to be by His grace. There's not a day that goes by that I don't need God's forgiveness. And God chose imperfect vessels to put his beautiful spirit in. And those imperfect vessels are you and me. And he chooses to forgive us. And he turns around and he says, I want you to apply the same grace that I've given you to the people around you. Number nine, love does not delight in evil. Now. When I read that, it brings a few things to my mind. Recently, there are those who would see some injustice happen on the news, or on television. They get themselves so worked up that they start, you know, encouraging the destroying of other people's properties. People who had nothing to do with what happened. It happened just a few years ago with the riots. They were concerned it was going to happen again with that young man. I remember a lady got so mad in her, and in her emotions about the, the, the George Floyd incident that she posted on her social media. Yeah, burn it all down! As they were going through businesses and torching the places and looting and holding our yards, to which I responded, perhaps we should post your address and let them start there. Of course, she didn't like that. It's okay for them to burn other people's stuff down that didn't do anything. What about your place? Why don't we start there? You see, unfortunately, there are way too many people who will sit back and watch and even encourage and clap foolishly about what other people are doing inappropriately, unless it comes to their theater. Or their home or their house, or their business, or to them. The Bible says love does not delight in evil. But the other thing that comes to my mind these days is a little more subtle. It's what it's what passes for entertainment today. How many of you know that the PG thirteen of today is not the PG thirteen that we grew up with? Come on, somebody. And oftentimes, we'll sit there and watch it, and we'll watch it with the littles watching it as well. And it's not the same thing of what we have to deal with. In fact, the commercials of the day, I'm having a hard time watching. Did you see what's going on with the commercials? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Grooming. We're heading toward Solomon Gomorrah, this you wouldn't have seen this stuff 2 years ago. It's like someone flipped a switch. And who are they targeting? The children. The children. And there will be those who celebrate it as as progressive thinking. In fact, they've painted the White House <laughs> rainbow colored. Love does not delight in evil. And I don't define what evil is. The Word of God does. God does. God is the one that sets up the standard of what good and evil is. Well, it goes on to say love rejoices with the truth. Now let me ask you a question. What, what brings joy into your house? For so many people, the things that bring them joy is football or sports or their team winning or catching a fish or defeating some video game, mastering a a move with cheerleading or soccer maneuver. I went went bowling the other day with the fellas, got to my 10th frame, and my first ball took out seven pins and left me with a 4-7-10 split. That's what a 4 7 ten split looks like. Almost impossible. But today the computer, when you look up, it gives you a suggestion as to what you should do with that one. And I turned to the fellas, and rather braggadociously, I turned to them and I said, watch and learn. <laughs> and I stepped to the aisle with my ball and I aimed for that four pin and that ball went down that lane, struck the four pin, took out the the seven pin and slid over and took out the ten. What? (laughs) What? I turned around and they were all Yeah Yeah. Truth is I got lucky. (laughs) One of my highest scores, one seventy-six. It's not it's not Jim's score of over three hundred. He did it perfect twice. He did it twice. That's why we're banning him. (laughs) Now, the truth is, whatever brings us the greatest joy in our house tends to reveal what our priorities are. Now, let me tell you, as stoked as I got about that, let me tell you what really got me going last week. I hung out with my grandkids. We went to a park. And as we were taking them home in the car, I heard them arguing in the back, and all of a sudden they called up my name. They said, Grandpa, where is heaven? Isn't it high above space in the stars? And they were debating as to where it was. Was it above the stars? Was it high above the stars or the space? They wanted an, a, a professional's opinion. <laughs> Well, I said, well, I'm driving the car. I said, I believe heaven is figuratively up, but I believe it's kind of like in a different dimension. I'm trying to explain this. They are six six and seven years old, different dimension than ours. The Bible says absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Jesus told a thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in heaven. So I believe it's closer than we think. But just a different dimension. I literally think that when when we breathe our last on this earth, we breathe our first breath in heaven. It's just in a dimension that we don't see. So how high up it is or where exactly it is, I think that's what I believe. To which they came back with the $64,000 question. R.J. said, Grandpa, will I be going to heaven one day? I thought, hopefully no time soon, but I said, yes, R.J.? if you've accepted Jesus as, as your Savior and your Lord and your heart. I said, have you done that? He says, yes, I have, Grandpa. I said, then, yes, you'll be going up to heaven. And, my, uh, and Eva said, I have too. And I said, yes, you'll be going as well. And then they said, well, what about the people who, who haven't accepted Jesus? I said, yeah, no, they're not going up. They said, they'll be going down? I said, I said, yeah, yeah, they'll be be going down. (laughs) Six, seven years old, this is what stoked me. Already talking and understanding in their own way about spiritual things, the sort of things that that's what I really love. I I love getting in an environment where people just get it. Someone blessed me today. They walked in and they said, Pastor Rick, I've been watching you online. And in watching you online, I've given my heart to Jesus. Come on, somebody. Those are the things that I rejoice about. Those are the things that, that, that get me going. Now listen to me. If it's only about knocking down pins and football games and video games, we have aimed low. I'm not saying those aren't good th- side distractions to do. But, but if all your life is about a distraction, you haven't quite figured this thing out yet. The Bible encourages us to rejoice in the truth. And there is no greater truth than when people come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And the 11th thing is that love bears all things. Love bears all things. In other words, it doesn't quit. It's tenacious toward others the way God was tenacious toward us. And oftentimes people will say that they, they have found the Lord. They found the Lord. Pastor, I found the Lord. Now, probably it would be more accurate to suggest that the Lord found you. It's because it wasn't him that was lost. Come on, somebody. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, came to seek and save those who are lost. If you are in here today, it's because God came looking for you. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He he, he came after us. We didn't find the Lord. He tenaciously and relentlessly pursued us. That's the parable of the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Folks, you need to know this. You are the one. You are the one that God went after to bring into his kingdom because he absolutely and unequivocally loves you. I was sharing with the team before you all came, and we were praying. And the Lord reminded me of an incident that happened when I was a pastoring associate pastor at another church, and I was working in my office. And after working in my office, I said, you know, I'm going to step outside and get some fresh air. And I went outside and got some fresh air. And as, as I stretched, I looked on the corner of the block where our church was. And there on the corner stood a young lady who was scantily dressed and obviously in the lifestyle. And normally, you don't, you don't want to catch the eyes but at that moment when I looked, she looked at me. And the spirit of the Lord, I felt, said, go talk to her. And so I went. And as I went to the corner and started to, to meet with her, I asked her, her name. And I don't remember everything I said, I started with, Jesus loves you. And as I started to minister to her and, and pour out whatever the Lord was telling me, she was standing in the corner. She started to weep. Now, let me tell you, it wasn't just a, let me just cry. At some point, she started to bawl. And when she started to cry and bawl, she leaned into me. And now she is bawling. And, and in that moment, I had this sense, I'm standing on the corner of my church with a prostitute in my arms. And I thought to myself, okay, ma'am, let's go into the church, into the service, into the thing. Because I know Mama Joe, my, my secretary at the time, she was in the foyer, her office, I said, let's go there. And she came in. And we prayed with her a little bit more, and Mama Jo said, well, let's go into the church. She said, Pastor Rick, I can't go into the service. Now, mind you, there was nobody there. But she felt so unclean and dirty that she didn't want to disrespect the house of the Lord. Now, let me tell you something. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend to sinners. Amen. And we, even though we tried to convince her otherwise, she just wouldn't go in. So we just continued to pray for her there. She gave her, her, her heart to Jesus. She wanted to get off the streets immediately. We called some programs to see if we can get her in. Now, this was a Friday, but there were no programs open for her. There was one that was going to be open, but it wasn't going to be open until Monday. And so she didn't want to go back to the pimp. She was clearly had given her life, life to Jesus in that moment. I mean, I mean, it's not in everything. She was getting delivered, she was getting get home y'all. Couldn't find a place to live. And then I found myself doing something that I thought I would never, ever do. Yep. I called my wife. I said, babe, this is what's going on. We have a young lady here who I just met, gave her heart to the Lord, gave her the detail. She needs a place to stay for two days before this program will take her. Can I bring her home? I called my wife and asked if I could bring home a prostitute. These are some of the things that the Lord is going to get you into that's not exactly orthodox, but it is God. Amen? Amen. Because it's going to reflect and show the love of God to the world around us. Now, let me tell you something. Times are changing. We are entering into a time where God is asking us to be serious about what he's trying to do and who he's trying to reach. And God is going to not just put it on the pastor's heart, but he's going to put it on your heart to reach out to the people around you with his genuine love. Because his love is patient and is kind and is long-suffering and it keeps no records of wrong and it's not rude. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we are surrounded by a people who absolutely and are dying to experience that kind of love in their lives. Not judgmental, not throwing stones. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. And if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, you are going to do what he does. Now when we get that right, there won't be any seats in this place. You know why? Because they're going to know that living water is a place that not just talks about the things of God, but walks it out in their lives. And that kind of love, see, a lot of people think, well, how'd you get saved? I didn't even know about hell before I got saved. It wasn't... Was afraid of going to hell. I didn't even know about it. You know what drew me to, to, to God? When I heard him say, Ricky, in my heart, I said, I heard it. it wasn't a loud voice. I was like, was at summer camp. <laughs> I was at a summer camp. <laughs> and the presence of the Lord came in one day. And I was, there, I was doing worship. The presence of the Lord just lowered on that place. And one person started weeping. Another person started weeping. Another person started weeping. Before you know, the whole place is weeping. I'm, I'm 16 years old. I'm like... I'm not going to cry. What's going on here? <laughs> I thought they put something in the Kool-Aid. That's what I thought. <laughs> and then I looked up at somebody. In their eyes, was a counselor. And as I looked into his eyes, the Spirit of the Lord said, Ricky, call me by name. Ricky, I love you. <gasps> oh, my goodness. And all of a sudden, I heard it. No, no one can tell me I didn't hear it. I heard it. And I just started, I started bawling. I mean, and that's when I came back from camp all crazy. Mom, asked, you remember that? I was like, no one could tell me any different. I heard the voice of the Lord. I heard my heavenly father tell me he loves me. It wasn't the fear of hell that drew me to God. It was his love. And that's why the Bible says, for God so loved agape, the world. For God so loved you. That he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. You have a father in heaven who literally thinks you are to die for. And that's exactly what he's done. But he's mobilizing the church and he's saying, okay, this is not just for the four walls of the church. It's not about us four and no more. He says, no, I want you to take my message of love. Or to the people around me, because they're literally dying to hear it. And how are they going to hear it unless you tell them? And it may look a little messy. And you, you, you might have to explain to somebody while you're standing on the corner talking to a lady of the evening. But that's Okay. Because if I've if got to be judged, I'd rather be judged by the people in this world than be judged by God. I'd rather look like a fool in the eyes of the, of, of, the, of the people of this world than a fool in the eyes of God. Amen. Audience of one. Love bears all things. And then it believes all, it hopes all, endures all, which means it gives people the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't rush to judgment. You're not quick to burn the village down I've, I've been told I'm too trusting Pastor Rick, you're too trusting right? I, I don't think that's a bad thing to have and, and ultimately it's not it's not people that I'm trusting in; it's God and his ability to see me through whatever situation or circumstance in a loving way that comes my way even if things go south on me which from time to time I'm like, I'm like you know they have but God has always seen me through by his grace And he's not a respecter of persons. He'll do the same for you. So love believes, hopes, endures all things. Not because God calls us to be stupid or naive, but because he's called us to a relationship with him that that trusts in a loving God who loves us, and he has our backs. Amen? And then finally, that same chapter says this type of love, not Hollywood, not the worldly love. He said this type of love, in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, says, will never fail. Will never fail. L- love never ends. It never fails. It turns around and says, prophecies, one day there's prophecies, those, those will cease. And tongues, those will come to an end. And the words of knowledge, those will pass away. But let me tell you what will never pass away. Faith, hope, and love. And he says, the greatest of these is love. Why? Because that's what real love looks like. That's where God lives because God is love. And if we settle for anything less than the biblical real love in our lives, we are doing ourselves and our families a great disservice and potentially allowing a wrecking ball to come in and destroy our lives. Now, my challenge to you is one I've given up before to this congregation, how do you know if you're walking in this type of love? I think at least once or twice a year, you should give yourself the love test. And the love test is simply this. Go to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, write that down somewhere. And wherever it says love is, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not rude. It is not self seeking. Keeps no records of wrong. Uh, Bears all things. Whatever it says love is, put your name in there. Rick is patient. Am I patient? Was I patient with my wife or my children? Was I patient with the person who desperately needed to talk with me? Rick is kind. It's not rude. Was I rude? I'm not saying that I don't blow from time to time. So give yourself the love test and don't be dismissive. There are some things you're going to pass and there are some things you're going to need to work on. And that's okay because the only person that can pass this test perfectly is Jesus. And the good news is he actually passed that test perfectly for all of us because he imparted his righteousness on us. Because he loved us that much. God knows what he's getting. But at the same time, he says, I challenge you now. I challenge you to not just clothe yourselves with Armani or the, or the latest starlets out there, Yeezys or whatever the stupid shoes that people are buying. I want you to clothe yourself with something eternal. Something that's going to last. Something that's going to fashionably look like me because Jesus is all those things to us amen and so God calls us to a love walk but not before he told us listen I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done for you he demonstrated his love for us in this that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. And so if you're here today, or if you're watching me online, if you've not yet connected the dots and made that connection to the fact that you need the lover of your soul, that God is looking for a relationship with you, and he's a gentleman. He's never going to force his way in. There's a reason why the scripture says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't say, I stand at the door and knock the door down. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, opens the door, he says, I will come in. And in the process of him coming in, he says, I will be your God and you'll be my people. And in that moment, he starts the, the, the transformation He Accept us just the way we are. I don't care how low we've gotten in in this world. I don't care what we've done in terms of sin. He accepts us just the way we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us that way. And so the Spirit comes in, and he starts to clean us up. And he actually starts to transform us into the real person that we're supposed to be. You will start to look like the person God actually created you to be you'll start to act that way you'll start to respond that way to god be the glory amen but it starts with you hearing that knock and saying that's what i want that's what i need in my life if you've not yet done that it'd be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him today let's bow our heads and close our eyes Let's pray. Pray something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today. acknowledge that I've blown it in many, multiple ways. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Make me a brand-new person in you. Thank you for dying on the cross. sending your son to die on the cross for me. And three days later, rising from the dead, Because you live, there's a promise that I will live as well. Help me from this day on to be so filled with your spirit, so desiring your will for my life, that I start to clothe myself in the things that you say are important for me, and this is one of those things, to be clothed in love as you define it in your word. And the areas where I'm struggling, whether it's irritability or rudeness or whatever it is, Father, help me to take those things off and to replace it with what you want for my life. I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.